The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. For the second part of this meditation, I would like to suggest some contemplation, some thinking, some reflection on a particular theme or topic, on a question. And you can do this reflection any way you'd like, but sometimes to do it in a more meditative way means to stay quiet and let go and re-ask the question and see what bubbles up and don't try hard to figure out the question. Just kind of like let the question kind of work it on it work on you and see what comes. So there's a couple of different things. The first one is what wisdom do you have about things that you cannot change? What wisdom do you have about things that you cannot change? What wisdom do you have about things you cannot change? And then the second question is, what wisdom do you have about being equanimous concerning things you cannot change? What wisdom do you have about being equanimous, equanimous about things that you cannot change?
And then the third question, what wisdom do you have about other people's suffering that you cannot change for the better? What wisdom do you have about others' suffering when you have no opportunity to support or to help or in any way change it for the better? And then the final question is, what wisdom do you have about being equanimous? With suffering of others that you cannot help. What wisdom do you have about being equanimous when you cannot help someone in their suffering?
So the equanimity Brahmavihara, the the kind of love that is called equanimity, has a lot to do with how do we, with people, how do we love, how do we have kindness, how do we have compassion, how do we have joy, when we have no role, no possibility of changing anything for the better. Um, And that's particularly uh, poignant around compassion because compassion means someone's suffering and we would like, and the wish of compassion is to, motivation of compassion is wishing that suffering to come to an end and sometimes maybe helping support that. But sometimes we can't make a difference. We can't in spite of all our wishes and all our good intentions and all our willingness to help, sometimes we can't. And so equanimity then is practice comes into play. Um, Sometimes people have a lot of joy in their lives and we we have no role in it. Maybe it's okay, but we have no role. We can't keep it for them, you know, or something. So equanimity comes into play. So that the whole idea of equanimity has a lot to, socially has a lot to do with when we can't make any difference. It's not a license to be aloof and disinterested and unengaged, like oh, you know, I'm a Buddhist now, so I don't have to, you know, get involved. <laughs> no, it's um, but there are times when we can't make a difference, um, and if we can't make a difference, <clears throat> what wisdom do you have then? What, uh, how does, how do you, what role does equanimity have in situations where we can't make a difference? Does it have a role? That's the topic. And that's a, I think it's a very deep and provocative and challenging topic. It stirs up a lot of ideas, a lot of protest, a lot of questions, a lot of confusion, a lot of even doubt, a lot of things that come up around this great question. But for the equanimity Brahmavihara, this is a like, key issue to explore and to massage and try to find your way in. So what's the, what wisdom do you have about being equanimous when you can't make a difference? And what do you do instead of being equanimous? Some people run around in circles or some equivalent of that, right? Or some people get depressed or get dismayed or get horrified or some people will try to make a difference anyway and exhaust themselves trying to do something they can't not have any effect on. Y- yes? I'm responding to your question. Uh, well, the idea, you could do that if you want or you can wait. The idea was to have, I was setting you up for a discussion among yourselves. Is that okay? Oh, sure. Yeah. So what I'd like to suggest is... Um, groups of four again. I think we'll have to have two groups of five. And, um, and that um, you go around the same thing as before, where again, it's a listening exercise more than a speaking exercise. So be more interested in listening than what you have to say. But you have to offer something too, so they can listen to you. And, um, and so and go around 
And um, don't offer more than one kind of topic, one, one point at a time. And you can, your second, third, fourth points you can o- offer when you come back, or as you heard this morning, um, you know, you might have a whole different perspective to bring because you've heard other people. And so it kind of, the spiral thing kind of lets something different happen. And so the topic is, um, what wisdom do you have when you can't make a difference in, in the lives of others? What wisdom do you have when you can't make a difference in the suffering of others? That's the topic. And it's a very choice word. What wisdom do you have? Um, because I say it that way because sometimes people, some people are quick to, um, uh, to come up with the difficulties. Oh, it's too difficult. And it is difficult, this thing. So to try to, uh, we want, mostly want to see what, where, where, can you, where can you grow? What can you learn? What can you find that's useful? What wisdom do you have on this topic? Yeah. Uh, so before being able to have uh, the wisdom of uh, when to be equanimous, you have to have the wisdom to know when you can't make a difference. I, I agree. How do you cultivate that? Yeah, so how do you... So, you know, sometimes it's obvious, but sometimes it's not so obvious. And, and for parents, sometimes it's, there's a whole big gray area. You know, and you know, you, it, you know, should I be involved now? Should I not be involved? I can make a difference, but even if I can make a difference, should I be make a difference you know, and um, you know I can. Uh, you know, so what kind of difference is it? And so that's a it's a that's a great topic. But for now, we're going to assume that you know it for this exercise. You already know you can't make a difference. Yes. What do you mean by making a difference? You can't help. You can't change the situation. We could. I mean, so the question is, what wisdom do you have about being equanimous in the face of suffering or face of a person who you can't make any difference in their lives? That's the topic. And there's, and uh, is that okay? to If you take your suffering, for example, someone's suffering, you can't help them. Somehow, they're not letting you in, they won't change. They're not going to change, like someone's an alcoholic. And they're not going to stop drinking. And, and, uh, you know, if you try to help them by, you know, know, even being their friends sometimes, it actually might enable it. They need to face it or something. So when you can't make a difference is the topic. And, um, and I think the tendency is to go towards suffering because that's where this is the hottest topic. But, um, but I, so the question is, because uh, uh, there are times, the whole idea of the equanimity Brahma Vihara is there are times when it's actually uh, uh, important and in a certain kind of way profound form of love or, or, or quality of love or, or, or companion to compassion and love to know how to be equanimous in situations where you can't make a change. Can't make it. And that's true in all kinds of ways, not just in terms of interpersonally, but the Brahma Viharas are interpersonally. So, 
uh, you know, if you can't make a change, then what then? Doesn't doesn't make any sense to continue to, you know, fight against, you know, what's inevitable or something. So what wisdom do you have about being equanimous in the face of things you can't make a difference for, you can't change? Is that, is that understandable enough? And um, so let's see what comes up out of you. I, mean, I don't know what's going to happen in your circle, but, but let's see. Uh, trust the circle, trust the process, and just offer something. Offer one idea. Uh, and then uh, and see what happens as you go around and explore this. It's okay? Yeah. Four questions. I can't remember. No, yeah, I'm just offering you one now. Oh, just that was just warming you up. Oh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so the question is, what wisdom do you have about being equanimous in the face of someone's, some other person who you can't help or change or make a difference in their lives? Okay. Okay, so why don't you find groups of four and, and if uh, there might have to be a couple of groups of five. So what wisdom came out of the groups? Anything that uh, stood out particularly that uh, was useful for you to hear or consider? Or what was some of the tenor of the conversation? All I heard was the murmur- murmuring in the background. So I don't know what you actually talked about. So yes, if you'd, could the, do you have the mic over there? Or? I don't see that. Oh, here. Trudy. What really uh, hit home for me and summarized what, what the gems that were coming out was when someone said, we need to let go of our own agenda. Mm, and that felt like the wisdom. Great, thank you. Especially when it concerns other people, right? <laughs> yeah, the other thing that came up... Uh, if we cannot make a difference, then we have to accept the way things are. Mm-hmm. So the need to accept things, mm-hmm. because uh, you, otherwise you're going to suffer and struggle and be yeah. tense. Yeah. Um, one of the things that came up in uh, our group that I really liked is the... Um, is knowing that we can't make a difference and then still holding our intention and and our want to relieve suffering in the world and kind of, I guess, navigating our way and like moving away from situations where we aren't able to maybe do much. Like I think I feel like an energy thing, but also like holding the intention and and knowing that, you know, at some point we are going to be able to care and somebody is going to be able to receive Mm. and 
that just felt really yeah. sweet to me that yeah. we don't have to like shut down or Thank you know you. just to remain open as we navigate the world and that maybe somebody will be open to receiving nice. our care. Yeah. So that was so you, so you might have compassion for a situation that you can you can't do anything about, uh, but that doesn't mean you shut down. It just means you you accept it in a certain kind of way, <clears throat> and then you keep yourself open. The intention you have, the compassion you have, is beautiful. Uh, don't shut that down. But 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 connected to equanimity, and maybe the next person you see, you can make a difference. Nice. My name is Sandhya. Uh, and then in, there may be an instance where uh, it's just impossible, uh, and y- you may need to say goodbye to that person. And when you do so, you um, do it uh, with tenderness. You say, look, it's not working. Um, I wish you the best and peace. Did I get those words? Well, about, about, yeah, yeah. So um, uh, that, that may be... the in some instances, the best thing to do is just because you don't have to have everybody in your life. You don't have to interact with everybody. Great. Nice. In our group, we talked about problems that can come up if you don't accept that you can't do anything. And there are a couple of people in our group who had had uh, health pretty serious health problems and we found uh, came up in the conversation that friends of the person or other people would kind of assume that they were smarter or better than the person who has an injury or an illness and one person said they wanted to say to a friend gee I haven't seen you for a couple of weeks but I don't think you became an MD in the meantime (laughs) (laughs) so I, I afterwards I thought you know part of accepting what you can't change is it's sort of an equalization. You're not raising up, putting yourself up high. You're more like saying, okay, here we are together. We're on the same level. Nice. Thank you. Um, we talked uh, about many things. We talked about the value of being present and witnessing without doing anything. And then we also, similarly to what was just mentioned, we talked about the arrogance, uh, combating one's own arrogance of, about feeling like you have... Uh, you are not without limits and that you can fix anything that needs fixing. Nice, nice. And the first one you said uh, uh, reminds me that sometimes it's, you can make a difference in people's lives. Very bit, huge, might be the biggest difference in the world if you show them that you know how to be equanimous and at peace with a difficult situation. Say, wow, that's possible. Maybe I can do it too. For me, it's imp- I, I think it's important to have uh, courage um, as opposed to resignation. So, so equanimity might require a lot of courage. Yes. Yes. You're, you're, it doesn't mean you're, you're shutting down. It doesn't mean you're resigning. Uh, so it might be that you care, bear witness. I mean, you might mean that you stay right there. You don't leave the situation. <clears throat> but to stay there and not give in to fear, not give in to fixing and running around in circles might take a lot of courage. And sometimes it also takes a lot of uh, courage because 
uh, people around you expect you to be running around circles. They expect you to kind of like to have some kind of do something, you know, because it, it can look like it's n- not caring, but it might be the deepest kind of caring if you can't make a difference to show some another way. So there's one other way of, um, <clears throat> I suspect that no one talked about, um, a wisdom of, uh, uh, it's like a little bit maybe different than the questions, but that is that um, there are times, <clears throat> if say that you're on a meditation retreat and you spend days, weeks, dealing with your mind, and the mind's been unruly and caught up in hindrances and all that, and finally they quiet down, the mind is concentrated, quiet, and present. And um, in that circumstance, it might be better for everyone concerned, the whole world, for you to stay going deeper and deeper in the practice. And so you might encounter someone at the retreat, for example, who's having some difficulty, <clears throat> but uh, maybe it's not your place to, t- to take care of it. It's up to the teachers to help. <clears throat> it's not your... P- but more importantly, uh, you, you're doing this really important work that maybe it's better to know how to be equanimous. So, oh, that person's suffering, but it's not my place and time to be involved. I'm doing something really important here. It's not being that you're aloof or uncaring. You have care and compassion, but it's recognizing that there's something important happening with you. And so even if you can make a difference on retreat, um, maybe you don't make that difference. You let someone else take care of it. Because everyone, everyone on the retreat wants you to stay with your practice. It, that's what you want, rather than losing your practice because of it. Does that make some sense? Now, I'm sure that sounds kind of cruel. Uh, you know, it's in, in conventional language, you know. It's, but the, uh, it's for, I put so much value on what can happen, the transformation of people can happen when they go really deep and concentrated that um, uh, they come out of that and then they can be of service in a very different way than if they don't allow themselves to go deep. So it takes a certain kind of ability to be equanimous about what's going on in the world in order to prepare yourself to come back to help the world. But if you try to take care of the world always, (laughs) uh, then the mind will never get quiet and you never see your things deep down. Does that make sense? So, this equanimity, as a Brahma-vihara, is a form of love. And probably the best way to understand that is to see it as a partner to the other three. uh, We we have our love, we have our loving-kindness, we have our compassion, we have our sympathetic joy, appreciation of others. And, And we keep that pure, clean, or simple by mixing it with equanimity so that we don't somehow get it confused with reactivity, with agitation, with, you know, all the different kind of ways as the mind gets contracted or tense. Um, And that way our love can stay nice. Equanimity brings the absence of tension to our love. And I think that's a great thing. Now, the exploration here was, what do you do, how do you, the wisdom around having equanimity when you can't make a difference? Uh, There's a lot of wisdom in staying equanimous when you can make a difference as well. 
while you're acting to make that difference when you're doing it. Because it is, even when you, if you can make a difference, if you can act and do to make something, you still don't want to be caught up in a tense mind and caught up in your agitation or caught up in your worry and, you know, all the different things, right? So having certain equanimity is, not, is, a, is a non-agitated mind. It's a non-tense mind. So all of what we do has a chance to come from, hopefully, our wisdom and our love in a clean way. So the part of the equanimity practice is uh, to help make this possible, to purify this, to learn this. And so to explore equanimity is explore the terrain of all these areas of what goes on. It's really rich, really great. That's enough for now. So what I thought we'd do is come back after the next break, the last time. We'll have about, 45, we'll have about an hour left. And we'll, a few things. We'll, uh, I'll, I'll offer you the one version of the uh, equanimity phrases that are used for equanimity meditation. And then we'll explore a little bit what these, how to understand these, this phrase and the wisdom of this phrase. And, and, um, and, 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 and I don't know if we'll, we might do a little meditation with it, but, um, but more how this phrase is a phrase, the kind of wisdom phrase you can carry with you and help you understand your life and... Um, you know, and this is, as I said in the beginning of the morning, I have not done a lot of equanimity meditation practice, so I'm not really qualified to teach much of it. I've done so little of it. But the equanimity practice and the consideration has been a very important part of my everyday life, just like the other Brahma Viharas are. And so that's where I find the most juice around this. Um, and then uh, I thought it would be nice when we come back uh, to sit in a circle. So anyway, I'll, I'll, I'll direct that when we come back, but it's for our last period together. So, yes? Um, I just wanted to say this before we, because um, it just occurred to me. Uh, there's a lot of us in the room probably that are therapists and have been for a long time. And... Damn, I wish I had known about equanimity (laughs) (laughs) for about the first 20 years of my practice because it would have made my life considerably easier and probably I would have been a better clinician for that. But that, you know, to sit with people in the the throes of whatever they're going through, particularly when they don't change, because that happens a great deal. Um, and, to, and to sort of feel like it was my fault I wasn't doing something right and you know Schmendrick in the next office probably was <laughs> so I mean this would have been really really helpful and I was just feeling some um, regret that, uh, that that hadn't happened before mm, okay. so I'm, I got here eventually when I, when I, I was never a therapist, you know, at least not, you know, professionally. Uh, but um, the, um, when I started being a teacher, uh, I had that, some of that issue too, for sure. And one of the things I thought was, I, mean, I was ready to help everyone. You know, I was like, and the other teachers would look at me and think, Gil, you know, you're just like exhausting yourself. Like on retreat, I would be seeing people all the time. and I was going to help everyone. I was going to save the world, Right. And I've had to learn that it's actually wiser for everyone concerned for me not to be on the bandwagon to save everyone all the time. Probably save more people by not not saving as many.
Great. So we'll take a break. Let's start in here at uh, 2.35. You can come here, Robin. So I'll offer you, oh, one more person. Good. So I thought I would uh, offer you uh, one of the common phrases used here in the West for equanimity practice. And then uh, we could explore a little bit um, the wisdom of it. And... um, you know, it's, it's uh, almost everything has foolishness attached to it, too. So we could explore the foolishness of it. Uh, but uh, we, we will benefit more from focusing on the wisdom of it. <laughs> and um, so, um, but I thought the, the way to uh, offer you this is to do it in meditation a little bit. Just, just, we'll spend maybe five minutes or so, just a short time. And I'll, I'll offer you the phrases and... Maybe you can sink in or you can practice with it or see what it does more inside of you, what happens with those phrases or what the wisdom of the phrases are and see, see how they support you. So taking a meditation posture. <clears throat> closing your eyes. And then taking, let's take a few minutes to settle in, get quiet. Maybe if it's helpful for you as you exhale, letting go of whatever you're thinking about. And as you let go of your thoughts, let go into your stillness. Let go into the inner quiet.
So here are the, the phrase, it's a bit long. Would you, but it was silently in your mind, you can repeat it to yourself after I say it and see where it lands, see what it happens in you and, or consider how it's useful. And I'll say it in, in, uh, in the beginning, I'll do it in two halves. And the first half is People are the owners of their actions. People are the owners of their actions. The second half is their happiness and unhappiness depends on their actions, not on my wishes for them. Beings are owners of their action. Their happiness and unhappiness depends on their actions, not on my wishes for them. Beings are owners of their action. Their happiness and unhappiness depends on their actions, not on my wishes. Beings are the owners of their actions. Their happiness and unhappiness depends on their actions, not on my wishes. Beings are the owners of their actions. Their happiness and unhappiness depends on their actions, not on my wishes for them.
and then the last time. Beings are the owners of their actions. Their happiness and unhappiness depends on their actions, not on my wishes. And then before we open you open your eyes, <clears throat> why don't you just uh, check in with yourself a little bit to see what happened to you with this, hearing this phrase, saying the phrase, what responses and what, what happened as a result for you? What do you think of this phrase? <clears throat> yes. I'm Kate, and I've heard you use it before, and I found it helpful. I broaden it, though, to include actions. Uh, to include inactions, <laughs> especially when um, trying to explain this to um, teens, yes. that their procrastination or not doing not doing something in a timely manner or not doing it at all is also part of yes. of mm-hmm. actions. So exactly. Your happiness depends upon your actions or inactions. Great. That's, my wishes That's great. You. Thank you. Uh, I was struggling with this because I don't, uh, I have to parse out suffering because I don't think children are responsible for their suffering. And it's hard for me to imagine that, uh, for example, I went to the, all the big stuff. The people in Nepal are responsible for um, what's happening over there. So I could think of many, I went immediately to the examples of where I don't think people are responsible. Uh, 
But you know, there's, I think it's very carefully said, your happiness and unhappiness. The way I, the way I take that phrase, that's the, uh, happiness, uh, the, the pain and pleasure you experience um, is not out of your control. But what, how you respond to it in your mind is to some degree. So that there are people who go through horrible external situations who are able to keep an upbeat mind, a positive mind, optimistic mind. And, and so even in, in the earth, I mean, I, I don't think it was an earthquake here in Redwood City that I would go around being happy and, you know, whistling and, you know, skipping down the sidewalk. I'd be pretty, pretty hard, I mean, painful. But I, I wouldn't necessarily call myself unhappy. Um, I would feel myself in pain. My heart would be broken. I think of the happiness and unhappiness to being the consequence of what I'm doing with my mind. But what about, how would you feel about children? The suffering of children? Most of the suffering that children experience in my life that I see, boy, are they responsible for it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but what you're talking about is the extreme situations, right? So when we go to the extremes, then it becomes a little different this discussion. But I think that the danger of going to extremes too quickly is then we bypass the wisdom where it's relevant in ordinary life, in everyday life. So I think what going to the extremes like Nepal or to children who get you know, raped and killed or have abusive... I mean, I met someone this week who grew up with a um, raging alcoholic father. And, and, you know, it's devastating, you know, and had lifetime inf- influence. And um, so it'd say, oh, you know, you're responsible for your happiness when y- your cards were stacked against you in such a horrible way is add salt to the wound. And, um, but there, there, there so, so, you know, I think we have to be very careful with this phrase. But this is the kind of classic phrase, so it must have some wisdom to it. Yeah. I've been practicing with that phrase for a very long time, only on myself. <laughs> I am, I will inherit my actions. Mm. Whatever I do, I will become, is the way yeah. I've looked at it. I've never heard it said the other way around. But obviously, if, if I think it's true for me, well, it's true for you too, so... I think that's a very, uh, very helpful thing. Yeah. Um, I believe per- that's perhaps true, but my wishes for them are the intentions that drive my actions. Mm, nice. That's nice. I like that. But then you have to be a little bit careful, right? That you you drive your actions when they're when they are useful, right? right? And if they're not, if you can't do anything, that's when equanimity comes. is mo- most important. Then I just keep thinking about it and mm-hmm. and not doing anything until I can find something to do. Yeah, great. So I think um, I was surprised. I guess I did not, I mean, I don't have any background in this, so I don't know what to expect about equanimity. But I was surprised by the sentence, like I either kept hoping for more 
Okay. Or uh, they're not my wishes for them. It's or cut it, cut it, cut that part because um, it introduces equanimity in kind of a two people relationship. Uh-huh. Um, but you know, as we leave, we interact with groups of people, organizations, governments. Um, no, so I would say that. Let me just talk about myself. I'm responsible for my action. My happiness and unhappiness depends on, you know, how I react to those circumstances. And then, not my wishes for them. For me, then it's not about me anymore. It's about my interaction with someone. Right. Uh, so it's kind of constricting my view of equanimity. Uh-huh. I think that last sentence was added in America. It wasn't part of the, in, in Asia, it wasn't part of the sentence. And I think it is because people wanted to have some way of recognizing that, appreciating that they have good wishes. They have care, compassion, and wishes for people. And, that, and not to leave that out. So, yes, I, yes, I have compassion for you. Yes, I want to help you. Um, and even though I want to help you and I have compassion and care for you and I wish that you suffer, um, you, you, you're making your choice. And I, you know, and then... And so I'm, I'm gonna, I have to be equanimous given that you're choosing. Um, you know, you, I, mean, I mean, the classic example that I've often hear is around uh, people who are alcoholic. You know, you try to help them as much as you can and you support them, but at some point you can't help anymore. And it's not your wish that they suffer so much, not your wish they become homeless. I've known parents who have kids became, they, they, kid, the parents at some point decided, you know, I have to just let my son become homeless. That's, and nothing else makes any sense. I hate that my son has to take responsibility, has to reach rock bottom. And the ha- parents were heartbroken. It wasn't easy for them. But they, they thought that this is what has to happen. It does, we can't, we've been trying for years and years to make a difference. And so, so recognition, yes, my, it's not my wish that you suffer so much, but you are making your choices. And where, where, where it helps me a lot, it has to do with the issue of responsibility. I mean, my Achilles heels, my taking responsibility for others, right? So... So to learn that I'm not responsible for the choices other people make. I can guide them, I can support them, I could try to do what I can, but at some point they make a choice. And when I realize it's their choice, and that I'm not really responsible, then I don't get hooked in as, as, as strongly. So is there a sentence or a practice for equanimity that doesn't touch my relationship with one person in particular? Um, so, you know, if I'm reacting to events, what would be the, a sentence that I would practice? Okay, I would like to be equanimous in front of things that happen to me that I dislike. I don't know. What occurs to me is that sometimes maybe equanimity is not the thing you want to practice then. Mm-hmm. Maybe you want to practice forgiveness, for example. Or self-compassion for yourself first. So you know, if you're reacting and getting angry at a situation, then you have compassion and care for yourself first. So you, maybe that calms you down, opens up the eyes so you can see more clearly what's going on for you. <coughs> now, your asked question is, what can you do? Um, so say it again, your question. So, um, I think I looked up equanimity in the dictionary because I had never seen that word. I mean, I'm French. 
Um, and um, I thought it was had something to do with how ones react to circumstances, people, and events. It's something like this. Mm-hmm. And so the sentence which is practiced is rest- restrictive to me because it just puts, it's only the case where I'm talking to someone or dealing with someone and I want to practice equanimity so that I don't get involved or overreact or things. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in in a more general sense, is there uh, equanimity practice to... Um, you know, be wiser about not reacting to things? Yeah, so, yeah, so the question, so there's a lot of things that support equanimity, staying equanimous situations. And uh, one of them is understanding, is wisdom. So sometimes it's particular wisdom about the particular circumstance that makes a difference. So sometimes you know some, a colleague is having a hard time in their life, and so they're easy, because they're so stressed at home, they snap easily at work, and you realize oh, it's nothing to do with me. It's, I don't have to take it so personally. Now I understand. So sometimes understanding something particular helps. Sometimes um, uh, understanding that yourself really well. Maybe, maybe they even don't like you. <laughs> maybe they say something mean to you. And, um, but uh, where that mean st- statement lands is on your own, your own conceit, your own arrogance, or your own kind of needing to be the perfect person and everything. And so if you learn that, um, you know, I don't, I, I, if, you, if you're not so attached to what people think about you, then it's not going to have such a big impact to the fact that someone says something mean about you. And so it comes from understanding yourself and not, not, not being so threatenable. You're not being a person who can be threatened, you know. Sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never touch me. So, you know, they said that in the playground in America. I don't know if they had that in France. But uh, yes, <laughs> the last time I punched someone out was in uh, first grade or kindergarten in Switzerland. I probably punched them out in French. <laughs> it was a school bully, and so I, anyway, I'm sorry about that, but. I just occurred, you said France, and I thought... <laughs> and, um, so where are we? The, um, so anyway, so not be threatenable. So have someone to have cl- uh, uh, work through your own uh, attachments, your own sense of self that you get caught up in. And so someone can say something to you, and, and it's not such a big deal, because, you know, you, know, you don't take it so personally. That bring, so they, they could be in the wrong, we can still be equanimous because we don't take it so personally. And um, the, um, the other thing, so understanding. And so with this idea of karma, the action, that's the same as karma, uh, is considered one of the preeminent ways in Buddhism to support you to be equanimous. The people are responsible for their own actions. And so you, you can only go so far in helping them and they make their choices and you're not responsible for the choices they make, and if there are consequences of those choices, they're going to have to live with those consequences, and, and uh, some of them are not so good. The other way that equanimity is supported is um, by uh, uh, becoming more balanced in yourself, having a strength of balance, so that uh, you're more resilient. So, you know, the example would be that uh, if, you, if you kind of 
work out a lot and become really strong and confident in your body and strong, then um, it's, it's, you know, it's not so easy to be pushed over. Or, you, know, so you, you kind of carry with you a certain confidence. And so you're more balanced in that confidence. So it's possible to develop confidence in your own being. Uh, you can have strength of balance, strength of mindfulness. Mindfulness is considered a, a great balancing, like, a, like the ballast of a boat, like the bottom of a sailboat. And, um, and so you want to cultivate and develop these strengths, inner strengths. The more we have inner strength and confidence, then we're less likely influenced by what's around us. So developing strengths. Uh, another is to develop um, uh, a sense of inner well-being. So if you have a capacity to have your own sense of happiness and well-being inside, then uh, you beca- it becomes a little bit like a, a raincoat for all the things that happen around you. You know, they, people splash you with all their stuff. And, uh, you know, it's, you don't get wet because you have your raincoat on, you know, because, you know, you, you're, you're, you feel so good. You, you have your own well-being that you're not so influenced by what goes on around you. Your, your own well-being is not tied to what people think about you and you carry it with you. And so then you're more equanimous because of how you are. And then this idea of freedom, the more free you are, the more less, less you're caught. Like, it's kind of what I said earlier, less you're, the more you're uh, freed from sense of self and free from attachments, then you know, th- things can happen and you're not so buffeted by them all. So equanimity is a lot of things uh, cultivate equanimity and develop it. And so it's not just about understanding, but, they, but the practice is a meditation practice of Brahma Viharas. I understand it to be uh, on the foundation of the first three. So it is coming on a found, beautiful foundation of loving kindness, compassion, and appreciative joy. And sometimes then, and that, given all that, given that as a given, that that's there, then sometimes this idea that I'm not responsible for the choices you make. It's basically, that's what this phrase is saying. And uh, that keeps you from kind of like getting pulled in to when they start going, you know, into a bad direction. So, so I don't know, if I, t- I apologize if I went on and on and didn't really address your question. No, you, you did answer my question. Thank did you. I? Okay. It's an occupational hazard being a Dharma teacher. You talk too much. Yes. This is just uh, kind of making me wonder because I always thought that equanimity uh, would apply in just uh, situations uh, uh, that are out of your control. I think that's a great place to consider it. If, things, if you can't, can't make a difference... It's like uh, you know, if you have um, health or an issues or an accident or uh, yeah. you're, the wrong president was elected or... You can't uh, control global warming or something like that. Yeah, so then there's no, point, there's no point to get all in a tizzy around your anxiety around something. Yeah. Because you're, you're worse off then. Yeah, it's, so like, it's, it's, like, it's like piling it on, the suffering then. So it's bad enough to have, you know, it's bad enough to have the wrong president. <laughs> <laughs> you know, with, you, know you, you don't want to have the wrong mind also. <laughs> When you said the words, um, not on my wishes for them, I felt my body just relax, Mm. like it relieved me of the burden of trying to impose my wishes on people who are suffering. Mm. Nice. Yeah. 
Could you still appreciate your wishes? Or do you realize some of them maybe aren't so useful, so wise? Well, I didn't go that far, but that's a good place for me to look. Yeah, yeah for that which is yeah. for that which uh, should be appreciated, please do appreciate yeah, that part of yeah, yourself. Yeah, yeah. And for those which aren't needed, bye bye. <laughs> I have a hunch that a lot of it isn't needed. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Thank you. Uh, is equanimity a word that um, is a term that uh, facilitates you the interpretation of the reality? I think that if you're a yes, I think that if you're equanimous, you're more likely to see clearly. But if you if you're not equanimous, right. it means you're uh, you're agitated. Right. It means you're contracted. So you're and so if you're agitated, you can't really see so clearly what's there. So it blurs your interpretation of the reality? Yes. It blurs the way you see reality. It blurs the interpretation of it. Yes. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Over here. Would you please repeat the sentences? The sentences? So, um, uh, I start off saying people, but I, classically, it's classically it's peop- beings. Beings are the owners of their action. Their happiness and unhappiness depends on their actions, not on my wishes. And the word for actions is karma. Karma means action. So it has a little bit richer connotation in Buddhism because of the meanings of karma. Thank you. Uh, I want to say that I find all of all of these uh, concepts that we've been studying in this, uh, thinking about in this uh, equanimity and kindness and compassion and all of those things are easier for me to work on if I don't don't interpret that as an absolute state I pretty much live on a few analogies in the practice and one of them is the path I'm on the path towards equanimity and I'm not equanimous (laughs) <laughs> but I, I kind of think I'm a little better than I was last year. <laughs> uh, and maybe a little better than the year before, a little more equanimous and a little more, a little more kind. And uh, it's all easier for me to work on these things if I don't expect uh, outstanding results at every turn. I mean, it, they work as best as I can make them work, and then they don't work. Nice. And uh, that has to be okay for me. Or What's the alternative? I'll go home and hide under the bed. Maybe. Oh, I see. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can be upset all the time. and It's better to be reasonably calm from time to time than it is not at all. So being less ambitious about your practice helps you become more equanimous about it, which keeps you on the path. 
Because if you weren't, a, if you were more ambitious about your practice and more like absolute, that has to be like you know equanimity by tomorrow. Yes. Then right. you'd probably give up more often. We'd have to kind of pry you away from the, under the bed. I would. What? <laughs> She's she, she pr- language or something. I have to be careful, you know. So. You said here, uh, I don't know when it was. Uh, one time, I think we were talking about loving kindness. And you said somewhere in your, what's that? It's a great sound. <laughs> yeah. Oh. You said somewhere along the way, uh, it, I felt some tightness, and I don't know, somebody said something, and then you said, why don't we just start with doing less harm, or something like yeah. that. Is that, I yeah. got that yeah, right? Yeah, Well, Sometimes loving kindness is just plain out of reach. I mean, I'm not going there. I don't want to go there. I'm upset, angry, <laughs> nasty, ready to do something. How about I start with doing less harm? Well, okay, I can start. <laughs> so that's what I mean. It's easier for me if I just sort of ease along here and do the best I can and equanimity, well, I'll get there. So. <laughs> nice. Thank you, Steve. I wanted to ask a question about suffering. Yeah. I think I have that maybe my definition of suffering is different than the way maybe Buddhists yes. talk about suffering. Yeah, please. Because it sounds like in, in Buddhism, suffering is what happens after an event you don't like happens more than like if I were injured and I felt pain. Right. In my, you know, my definition of suffering would be like, oh, I'm suffering because I have pain. Right. Um, but I think there's a difference between those two things. So when yes. when you say things like, um, I can't impact someone suffering. I mean, first of all, I couldn't necessarily impact someone not having pain, anyways, and right. I kind of accept that anyway. But um, but you're not talking about that suffering. You're talking about the suffering that happens after. Right, right. It's, right. Like, it's called the second arrow sometimes. Yeah. So, it's uh, yeah. We can't we can't avoid all kinds of suffer, uh, pains, you know, ordinary sufferings, kind of like you know, sickness, old age, death. It'll come. Uh, we get sick. Things happen. We get a flat tire or worse. Right. Things will happen, and they're unfortunate. Um, and um, but then. Uh, so that's part of what we come with in our life, and then we add the secondary layer on it. And the secondary layer is our mental reaction to it. And that's where, the, in Buddhism, suffering, at least suffering with a capital S, is the suffering that uh, we're responsible for based on how we're reacting to it. So in Buddhism, when they say the end of suffering, they're not really talking about the, the end of feeling... Any kind human of pain. pain, they're right. talking about the second right. era. Right. You're of not suffering. going to float on a cloud and be beatific and, you know, nothing. Oh, darn. <laughs> 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 yes, and um, <clears throat> so, the, you know, the Buddha had a bad back. He did? Yeah. There's a few stories of him not being, uh, uh, saying, turning to Ananda and said, I think you should finish the Dharma talk. I'm going to go lay down and rest my back. So he was enlightened, but it doesn't mean that you don't get a bad back. But I don't think he suffered because of it. Okay. <laughs> so maybe just maybe he, 
I, I mean, okay, but but it was uncomfortable for him. Yeah. Well, sure. That's why I went and lay down. Obviously, yeah, yeah, of course. But so, yeah. So yeah, so so and he takes and he took care of himself, right? Yeah. But I don't think he suffered because of it. He just. You don't think for one minute he thought I wish I didn't have this bad back, not I for one minute. <laughs> <laughs> minute is a long time. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, it's a reasonable thought to have that, oh, I wish I didn't have a bad back, I wish it didn't happen, and, but it is happening, so I'll go lay down. Okay. This is not at all thought out, so, um, but I have a hard time with conditioning, you know, like, um, I'm thinking of my youngest little brother who keeps finding himself in the same situations over and over. And, um, you know, there there was a lot of conditioning that has kept him stuck. And it's not, it's not a choice, and he's not got enough mindfulness to, to, you know, keep at it, to keep trying to shift the conditioning. But it feels like, I mean, the words uh, seem a little harsh when I heard them when I was thinking yeah. about. Yeah, I, think, I think that if you, if you take these words and apply them to every circumstance, there's lots of circumstances where they, they're harsh. So with someone like your brother, perhaps, uh, you are doing a lot. You're supporting him and helping him and trying to, make, trying to change the conditioning, trying to help him find a way in this life. Um, and maybe you'll make a difference. But the, the equanimity phrases will be helpful when you no, no longer can can't. No, no longer can. There might come a situation where you can't help him anymore. He makes a bad choice, and maybe it's his conditioning. Who knows why it is? But, uh, but he made the choice. And, you know, a good choice, I mean, to say, call it a choice maybe gives too much responsibility on conditioning, where it's, uh, you know, it's, you know. But, um, but at some point, I mean, you, we have to just you know, you, you do what you can. Those phrases have a lot to do with when we do what we can, when we can no longer do anything, and we can't make a difference. At some point, we have to give the situation, get out of the situation. Okay, I'm doing what I can, I'm available. Come see me. If you, you know, I've told people, come, come and, and uh, I'm available to support you and help. You have to let me know what to do, but uh, I'm not taking responsibility. I guess I'm kind of thinking about the equanimity that he needs to have or any one of us needs yeah. to have around conditioning. And it's it's not uh, like we have, you know, like we are in control of our actions and, you know, we... <laughs> I mean, sometimes it's it's a little more complicated than so that. Life it's is a, complicated. Definitely complicated. And so it's a... I mean, we're, we're very complex psychological beings, and so all the conditioning, all the ways we work, and our role as people, supporters and helpers, and, you know, how that works is very complicated in all the different relationships, especially with family and, you know, where, where the lines are. But there, definitely there's wisdom to sometimes appreciate that we're not responsible. For, we're not our brother's keepers, you know, all, in all circumstances. And so at some point we have to let, let people make their choices, and some of the choices are not good. We know that people are making poor choices, we know that what's coming is suffering, but uh, it's their choice, and we try to intervene, we try to advise them differently, and they still went ahead, and, 
And so what is, what, what's the healthy response for us? Uh, beings are, are the owners of their karma, of their actions. This person's going to uh, have be- the, the results of these choices are not going to be good. I know it's not going to be good. And so, I, you know, the person made the choices. I, I wasn't responsible. So for me, it's very helpful because I feel like I'm responsible. I'm not responsible. I don't get pulled in so much. And then maybe it makes you more balanced to respond if you stay not pulled in and caught in the drama as the person sinks, um, you know, given all you've tried. And then it's also, you know, the whole thing is very, very complicated, but one of the things that occurs to me is that um, one of the things that uh, many people don't have in their lives is someone who sees them, uh, just put it in kind of spiritual terms, kind of, sees them as being perfect just the way they are. And uh, someone has challenges in their lives, but they're not seeing, seen as a person who has a challenge. And some people who have a lot of challenges in their lives and are struggling with their lives, um, everyone comes around them and takes care of them, wants to help and feels sorry for them. And it's, uh, it's a not in, it can be sometimes a terrible position to be in, to always be, in that, be seen through those eyes. And to see someone who doesn't, to be in the presence of someone who doesn't see them as someone who has a problem, doesn't see them as someone who's even suffering, just kind of holds them, you know, just in a very generous, open, friendly way, and I'm here with you, you're perfect, and it's great, um, can be transformative for some people. So when, when to help, when not to help, when to just appreciate who they are for who they are. Um, I mean, you know, the example I gave the other day here was... Um, we have things in our society now we, we call disorders. And um, there's, uh, you know, dyslexia is considered a disorder, attention deficit disorder. But I think it's a terrible uh, uh, t- thing to call... When people's minds, you know, just biologically, this is how their minds are made to function a certain way. They're minds that work really well in certain settings. Uh, people with so-called attention deficit disorder minds, they, they, their minds are, are fantastic uh, as, uh, as park rangers. Uh, you know, they're pre- fantastic in hunter and ga- hunter-gatherer societies. And they're as fantastic as artists. They have gifts. And so why do we call it a disorder? So if everyone's treating you as a disorder, you kind of believe something's wrong with you. But say, oh, you, know, you, have, you, you have a particular mind. You work this way. Oh, you're great. So, so the, how, how we relate to the equanimity has a lot of value sometimes because it lets people be whole as they are rather than always treating them as a, someone has a problem. So it's, I mean, I'm just affirming what you're saying. Yes, it's complicated. There's so many different factors and, that are involved. But uh, the, um, so the kind of one of the themes for today is that I found equanimity practice most useful as a reflective practice reflection practice in my daily life. That as I go about my life, I sometimes reflect about, um, you know, how to open my heart with loving kindness situation, how to open with compassion situation, how to open with sympathetic joy. And it's a fascinating reflection. I learn about myself. I learn how I don't do it. I learn what to let go of. I learn how to do it in ways, small ways perhaps. And I also found it very helpful to reflect on this topic of equanimity. Not necessarily I'm going, to, I'm going to be equanimous, but the phrases, the topic, the theme, like, oh, 
is this a time for equanimity? What would it be like to be equanimous now? What's my responsibility in this situation? What, what, uh, what's my responsibility to my own mind? What's the alternative to being equanimous right now? And, uh, and generally, the alternative to being equanimous is not inaction. The alternative to, uh, the, uh, the opposite of equanimity is um, agitation. So, so and we don't want to be agitated. So the equanimity reflections is one of the ways to help us not to be agitated. And so to have an equanimous mind means to have an unagitated mind. So that's the kind of that's kind of the background for you know how I think about this and how I was trying to present it today. And I was kind of happy with Steve's idea of you know just it's good enough to be on the path and you know you'll do a little bit better. And um, you know so I've I've used this as my background. I don't have any I have ne- I, I you know people some people think of me as equanimous, but I don't think of myself as uh, ever particularly interested in being equanimous. You know in some active way like this is important to do. But rather, I, I've used this reflection to try to understand myself better. And as I've understood myself better, I, I'm less triggered by things that I used to be. Yeah, the last one, and then we'll stop. Uh, I found helpful a book, a very slim little volume called How to Help a Friend. Um, there are two authors... I forget the second name, but one is Anna Ranieri, R-A-N-I-E-R-I. Um, and it has some phrases that are not helpful. and for, I mean, explicitly shows you what things are not helpful and things that can be, and then things to say or do when um, you need to make it. Say, I can't help. Any, you yeah. know, here, you need a referral to so-and-so in, in a kindly, kindly way. So it's just how to help a friend. Nice. So yeah, it's a fa- I find it fascinating this topic for myself, and um, I'm still exploring and understanding many of this stuff and for myself. And one of them is uh, um, uh, when not to speak. When is it not useful to say anything? When it's useful not to say nothing at all, or uh, when to hold my mouth? And and um, so, like you know, if I'm going to complain. Is, is it useful to complain? Why am I complaining? Or is it useful to say, I told you so? <laughs> you know, if you'd only listen to me, if you only listened to me yesterday. <laughs> you know, and, um, and so I, I mostly think of this around my, you know, family. You know, watching my, my mind and, you know, when is it, when is it important to say? What should, shouldn't I say? And, and uh, when to be equanimous, when not to be equanimous. Sometimes it's not helpful to be equanimous. So you don't hold, you don't hold up equanimity up as kind of the Buddhist god. You're supposed to be always equanimous. That's not good either. But it is a useful practice, and uh, and it's a beautiful thing because I think that that a lot of the gifts that our life gives us, a lot of the gifts of what we can give the world. Um, it happens better if the mind is not agitated, not reactive, not triggered. And equanimity is a mind which is not triggered. So I hope that your gifts can come through that way. Can I just quick? Yes. That the the um, principle of not accepting things that are not freely offered. Yeah. 
I have to remind myself of the opposite, which is to not offer things that were freely asked for. <laughs> like advice. Oh, yeah, that way, I see. Good. So, um, so thank you all. So this was the year on the Brahma Viharas, this last Dharma practice day of the year. And uh, <clears throat> currently the plan is for the, when I start up again in the fall, to have it uh, be more meditation focused and to have next year the focus be that um, mindfulness of breathing, Anapanasati. And we'll go through the 16 stages of Anapanasati over the course of the year. So that would probably be more meditation and less diets. Less, a little bit less conversations. People do, so we'll do some because I think it's a very important part of this is to be in dialogue, but then um, forming community and connections. But um, So currently that's the plan. For today, it would be helpful if we had a few people stay behind to do some of the tidying up. Uh, we have an event here tomorrow. It would be nice to have the place clean. And we have maybe seven people who can stay behind in the bathrooms, the kitchen, and one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Great. So um, St- Steve's in, uh, the manager, so you can check in with him about the cleaning if you have any questions. And um, I thank you very much. And uh, for, what, for whatever way that equanimity is helpful for you, may it be a way that you bring benefits to your world. And for whatever way equanimity is not helpful for you, I'll leave it here. Thank you. It's always helped me to understand what definition is. It's not about people are suffering all. It's different. That's not what we're talking about. And it's hard to it's hard for me for a long time to think of saying that no one really affects it with that. That God that pushed you down the stairs. You can either beat that to death or you can say, hey. Over, I'm going to go along in my life and I'm going to learn to dance. Yeah. Or something. Yeah. Uh, just never mind. Yeah. 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 Yeah
Please. Yeah, I was going to okay. ask you, I know how to do the bathroom. Okay. So I'll take have one. Yeah, I'll do the one that's um, near the cupboard on the, you know, the far yeah, side. Okay. I don't know how to do anything, so. You're fine. You can just tell me what you want me to do. You cook? Not at all. Not at all?